Welcome to Where RA Now, a podcast dedicated to catching up with former RAs and hearing where their journey of life has taken them since their glory days at New York University. My name is Alvaro Lucan. I am tonight's co-host, a senior in Gallatin from Tijuana, Baja California, Mexico. I am studying computer science and sustainability, and I'm currently an RA in Lipton Hall. And I'm Tom Ellett, your other co-host, and serve as a senior associate vice president of student affairs. Welcome, Alvaro. How are things going in 2020 for you? They are going great, Tom. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, this is so great to be here with you. They're going great, honestly. Uh, the staff at Lipton are great. Classes are going great, and it's the last semester, so. Your last semester. Yeah. So what's the next step for you? What do you think? Uh, uh, what's in between ruling the world and the next step? It's uh, <laughs> so tell me a little bit about that transition. You, you, you weren't from New York City, mm-hmm. but you uprooted here. How was the transition for you coming here? Uh, there was definitely a lot of culture shock, yeah. Um, um, I mean, Tijuana is also a big city, but... It, it, it is tough to acclimate to New York. I mean, I'm not gonna lie. And a huge part of that is definitely res life. So, okay. which is also a big part of why I'm in RA now. And- To give um, back. To give back, yeah, in a way. And definitely um, a big important part of it. And I feel like New York is my home now. So NYU, I think did its job. Great. Lipton, it seems like a really tight, unified group. Yeah, definitely 16 people. Um, we all work really closely together every day, mm-hmm. and somehow we all still like each other. There you go. Most surprising thing about being an RA for you this year? I think I think um, for me it's a it's a bit built up. I think the the residents are are awesome. At least in my in my experience, my residents are honestly and really cool. Really just easy to say the word but you do your job and 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 they put in the effort too wow good for you well tonight's a special uh episode because first we have the honor tonight of having former faculty and residents john halpin professor john halpin coming in to do an intro on our guest john thanks for being here and tell us about tonight's guest i've known neil since he was a freshman here at nyu My name is John Halpin, and I teach General Chemistry 1 and 2, but Neil never took those courses. Neil took the Honors General Chemistry 1 and 2 classes, and in those days, I ran the laboratory portion of those courses. So I saw him as an extraordinary student, and just a year later, as an outstanding instructor in my courses, teaching both clinics, which today we call learning groups, and recitations. Neil has been a fantastic teacher since the start, so it's no surprise that he became an award-winning and beloved teacher and researcher of chemistry. While he was teaching as an undergrad, he was also pursuing undergraduate research, and he was an RA in Weinstein. The fact that he did all of those things and still earned the grades necessary to gain admission to Caltech for graduate school is amazing. Neil completed his doctorate in chemistry in five years, followed by two years of postdoctoral work at UC Irvine, before joining the faculty at UCLA. In just 12 years there, he has progressed through the ranks to full professor and in fact holds the Kenneth N. Trueblood Endowed Chair. He has won more than 40 awards for teaching and research during that time. Close to home, just a few months ago, he was awarded the NYU Distinguished Alumnus Award. He mentors 16 current members of his laboratory, with more than 50 past researchers having worked under his guidance. He is the chairman of the UCLA Department of Chemistry and Biochemistry, and he still lives in a residence hall as a faculty in residence. 
He is an author of more than 100 technical publications and, perhaps more importantly, has co-authored with his two daughters the Organic Coloring Book. With great pleasure, Professor Neil Garg. Thanks, John. Thanks, Tom and Alvaro, for having me in to do this introduction. Wow, what a resume, Professor Neil. Welcome. It's a real pleasure having you on. How are you and where are you? Oh, I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. I am in Los Angeles, California. Uh, just at, in my office at UCLA. Awesome. So tell us, what have you done since you graduated from NYU? Well, I, I guess I can tell you a little bit about um, what I've done both professionally and personally. Um, let's say personally, I got married. Um, my wife, Lindsay, and I met at NYU. And uh, we got married. We had a couple of kids. We actually have four kids, 12, 7, 3, and 3. So we had identical twins <laughs> Wow. <laughs> on, the, on that last pass. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's been a, a wild ride. Um, but then uh, professionally, I guess when I left NYU, I went to graduate school at Caltech. I spent two years working at Irvine as a postdoc, and then I started UCLA in 2007. So, yeah, the bulk of my time has been my last 12 plus years where I've uh, been a professor, teaching, doing research, and a little bit unusually living in the dorms as a faculty in residence. So I think that's mostly the types of the, the things that I've been up to. Outstanding. Neil, a pleasure to have you. And Howie Glassman was the one who nominated you, so uh, <laughs> speak very highly of you. So we're going to jump back to your time at Washington Square. Tell us about your life inside the classroom. What, what you, you studied chemistry, and why did you choose that, and what was it like? Well, I guess, I guess the first thing I'll say is that I don't really associate, say, my first year in college much with being in the classroom. <laughs> and I shouldn't admit that. I, uh -huh. You know, I going uh -huh. from Fishkill, New York, to New York City, uh, that's like taking a kid and putting him or her in a candy store. So uh, I really had a, a great time in New York. I remember my parents gave me something like, 200 bucks. And they said, you know, Neil, this should last you the entire year. I spent that $200 in the first week of orientation before, <laughs> before the started. So I got a job at Blockbuster Video um, on Broadway and 9th Street at the time. And that's how I associate doing much of my time taking some required classes. And the only reason I took chemistry classes is because I was a pre-medical student. And when I I think took some sort of a placement test that placed me in an honors class. And so that's why I started to take chemistry in the first place. Um, but it turned out to be a really great thing because I was in a relatively small classroom with a lot of great um, fellow students that turned into my study group and my, my close support in my work. So I started to study chemistry only really because it's what you do when you're a pre-med. <laughs> and again, it's something maybe I shouldn't admit to, but you know, back in the day when we had to register for classes, we did it through this phone registration system. And you had some priority of timing of when you could enroll or when you couldn't. And one of my friends went to the chemistry department. And the advisor at the time bumped up his registration date or said she would be willing to bump up his registration date if he was a, a chemistry major. And so he spread the word. <laughs> and so all of us, like, one at a time went to the the chemistry advisor and got our, our registration date moved up. So that's actually the true story for how I became a chemistry major. But may, uh, may you fake it till you make it, I guess. And uh, I became a chemistry major, and that's, I think, more of what got me started. Or I got used to it, I guess. So, I mean, you were from Fishkill, but uh, how did you first get NYU on your radar? Oh, NYU on my radar, of course, yeah. I think um, this is another 
you know, really random one. I had a really close friend. Uh, his name's uh, Rich. And he and I wanted to go to see a concert in Madison Square Garden. That's when we were seniors in high school. And the, the band was R.E.M. They were playing in Madison Square Garden. Oh, awesome. Wow. Great band, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, R.E.M. was playing Madison Square Garden. It seemed like a, a great idea. We were old enough that our parents thought it was okay for us to take the train to Manhattan. And uh, we decided to do this. We bought tickets. And then he said, you know, I want to check out the school at NYU. And to be honest, you know, when you go up in Fishkill, I don't know if everybody really aspires to stay really close by, you know, and I was definitely one of those people that was mostly looking to schools that were further away. Um, but I checked out NYU because uh, he wanted to do it. And so that's really what got NYU on the radar. It turns out my parents and I had some family friends, and their son went to NYU, so he also met up with us and showed us around. And I think that added an important layer of comfort there, especially for my parents, about the idea of going to college in New York City. Um, so that was it, basically. I went to NYU. I thought it was awesome. Never seen anything like that, a college you know, built into New York City. So uh, I applied. I got enough scholarship money to, uh, to, to pay the bills, I guess. <laughs> and I, I just love the school, so that's why. So we can thank REM for your arrival to NYU. Where did you live your first year? And then what did you do in terms of extracurricular activities? Sure. So I lived at 35 Fifth Avenue, Reuben Hall. Reuben Hall. I, I, I was also there just by the way, Reuben Hall all mm. the way. All right. I mean, every time I go back to New York City, I walk by Reuben Hall. I take a photo, make sure it's still there. I kind of wonder if the dining hall food has improved or not. It's no longer a dining hall. They they removed that out. Oh, there's no yeah, dining about hall. About ten years ago, eight years ago now, yeah. Well, I got to say, you know what, my friend, you know, old friends that um, lived in Reuben Hall, and, and my wife, you know, w- once in a while, this will come up in conversation when we're reminiscing, and we will get a good laugh thinking about the food. Uh, <laughs> but, but I'm glad it's closed down, and hopefully NYU is. Uh, stepped it up a bit. But I mean, we lived in Reuben Hall. That's where I lived for two years. And in terms of extracurriculars, in my first year or two, I I was a pre-med student. So I spent a lot of time volunteering at hospitals. So like I volunteered at a child psych facility. I volunteered at the NYU emergency room, things like that. Um, And then in my, I think, second, third, and fourth year, there was a, a transition from spending my time doing that um, to doing things that are more chemistry related. And that was, that was exploring the idea of going on to graduate school and things like that. So I spent a lot of time working in a research lab. And even in my sophomore year, I started as a teaching assistant. So I spent three years as a TA in my second, third, and fourth year. So, you know, I think about what I did outside of the classroom that they related to my education, that would be it. Um, and then, of course, you know, uh, being an RA, was a huge component of what I did for my junior and senior years. Uh, that's one that's awesome. Uh, the volunteering, I kind of like, I'm kind of wanting to do it now, even though I have nothing to do with that. But uh, as a Reuben Knight to a Reuben Knight, if that's what we're called, when or how did you want to become an RA? Um, did, did your experience in Reuben affect you? Did your RA affect you? I think there were a few things. I, I think for one, I, I mean, when I was coming back for my second year, again, to Reuben Hall, there was some opportunity where we could move in a few days early and help out with move-in type things. And maybe it was somehow related to the hall government structure as well. 
So that was probably the first thing that I, I did that was okay, any anything remotely related to that. I, I moved in a little bit early to coming out of Fishkill a little bit quicker. And uh, yeah, I helped with move in. I did like an ice cream social, comment my wife, by the way, uh, amongst other things. And I think that got me just a little bit of exposure into the more of the dorm life than the typical just freshman experience you live there. And it's just where you hang out. I got to see a little bit more about how the building worked. And then I also worked at the summer housing office uh, over the summers. And the person who ran that at the time, name was uh, Jennifer Brown. She also really encouraged me to look into um, the, the RA program. So I think that it would be a combination of those things that got me just thinking about the RA position and perhaps at least giving me the confidence just to apply because it's known that those things are so competitive. Absolutely still are. We usually get about 800 candidates for 150 roles each year. Uh, Carlisle and Water Street, uh, two very different buildings to be an RA in. Uh, who did you work for and what was it like to be downtown and then Union Square? Sure. I mean, when I remember applying and, and getting a position and being incredibly excited and then I was assigned to Water Street, and that was an unknown because that was going to be the first year the building came online. So it was absolutely nothing was known about Water Street. NYU just a gazillion students, so they started picking up these other properties or perhaps leasing them. Um, so it was it was really um, it was really an unknown. But what's special about it is it was a massive building with a huge staff, and the resident director, I think his name was John. Um, he was great, and the assistant resident director, I think her name may have been Nushin, um, they, were, they were wonderful, but, you know, it was such a big group of resident assistants. We were a very close group um, back then. We spent a lot of time together, and, uh, yeah, that was that this week for Water Street. And then, you know, I applied to be closer to campus um, for my senior year, and I was very lucky to get a spot at Carlisle. And there I worked with Howie Glassman on a much smaller staff and a very different experience because my junior year was a lot of transfer students, right? People have who had maybe less of a priority for which dorm they got assigned to. And then my um, senior year was actually like a lot of freshmen and sophomores, a couple of juniors, but I was on a floor with a lot of relatively younger students. Um, and it was really fun to be back around the village area. I was just telling Tom that one of the most interesting aspects of being an RA is meeting and interacting with the residents and finding out that they're pretty awesome in and of themselves. So that's my question to you. What was your favorite part about being an RA and your various positions that you were? I think the two parts of it that were, I think, really enlightening for me and just fun were, you know, I think by far it was the fellow RAs that I worked with because you spend so much time with them in training. You really get to know the other RAs. They are your strongest advocates, your biggest support systems, the people who understand what you're going through, and um, the people you bounce ideas off of. So the RAs, you know, that, that connection was huge for me. And again, Water Street was such a huge building. So I, I just had this amazing group of, um, of friends and this amazing support network. But of course, the residents, that was the, uh, the other key component. And when I was at Water Street, most of my residents were juniors, and I was a junior. So actually, I think I remember there it's uh, almost having a there's like a fine line there for where you um you know how you are as an RA if you're a a peer in one sense but in some ways you're as an authority figure it's a little bit of an awkward dynamic I'd say but um 
that was certainly a really fun part of it. And then when I went to Carlisle, most of my students were younger students. So there I had, you know, I felt like I was able to play a little bit more of a mentorship role in that position there. You, uh, John, mentioned in his introduction of you that you're currently a faculty fellow in residence at UCLA. Curious as to, uh, do you see the differences among students back in the day, as you're an RA, obviously had a different role, but to the issues that students bring to the hall with them now in their experiences? Absolutely. I, I think now the biggest challenge that I think existed, but it was less talked about, is mental health. You know, I think without a doubt, that is one of the, the most challenging things students face, right? It's just, um, yeah, how to, how to manage the stress of academia. I think that things like cell phones have just changed life for you know, I don't want to sound too old here, but we didn't have that technology when I was a student. So if I went to the library, I was off the grid, right? Nobody knew where I was. I could study for an hour. I wasn't constantly getting text messages, things like that. And I, I think, you know, some combination of factors, including, you know, everybody constantly being available, constantly being online, academic, you know, the rigors of academia, pressure to succeed so that you can do whatever comes next. I think it's just become challenging for students, but but I think hands down that is uh, the biggest difference is uh, how prominent that is. Uh, you know the the uh, openness that we talk about students and their mental health. One hundred percent, I agree with you wholeheartedly, and uh, especially in New York. I mean, the concrete jungle it's it's a it's an isolating place, but um, we do uh, as you mentioned. I mean. This is something that the role needed to be adapted to, and and I'm happy like NYU definitely does does address that strongly. Uh, Neil, how do you balance teaching, research, parenting, faculty fellow, and residence? That's a lot on a plate. Sure. Yeah. The answer is um, you just do the best you can. <laughs> I think is uh, is the is the answer. It's not. It's not. You know, one thing I learned right away when I started my job in academia is that. You have to be, um, I don't know, will, willing to accept that every, you can't get everything done in a, a single day that you might want to get done. And it's a constant effort to reprioritize the things that are on one's plate. If something's not due for a month, even though I might like to do it, probably better to wait for a month. Um, if my daughter wants me to walk her to school, It'll be my priority to walk her to school, or if I want her to walk her to school, obviously. So I think that's really what what it's about. It's like you can take on a gazillion things, right? And, and many of us do, but it's you know how we prioritize those things that's important. So I don't know if I I do. <laughs> I think I do as best I can in terms of balancing or juggling all these things. But I'll say it's an impossible scenario. I think most of us struggle with it, but I think over time I've just come to accept that. Hey, I can't do everything that I might want to do in a given day, and that's okay. But uh, I'll try to never let down my students, never let down my family, um, things like that. And sometimes other things might have to be, might have to be sacrificed. I, I really, really respect that. And I think that's, that's the RA in you speaking because uh, all of these residents are asking how they can take on the world all at once. And you can't say anything, but, but basically what you've just said, I mean, approach with a positive mindset and, 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 you can't do everything. I mean, you just can't. Um, and uh, do you, like speaking of these RA mentality, do you feel that these skills you're 
skills that you developed in part by being an RA at NYU uh, have helped you in your teaching roles and in your research roles? Absolutely, and it's something that I will sometimes say to the RAs here at UCLA when I when I am at a meeting and I'm hearing them talk about what they're going through when I'm hearing them talk about their lives and what they want to do in the future. Sometimes I'll chime in and I'll say, I don't know if you all realize this and I don't know if I realize it until, you know, now or more recently, how many of those skills that I can see right now you have you've picked up and you are picking up and will continue to pick up, how many of those will benefit you later in life? And that's because I use these skills um, absolutely in my research and in my teaching. I think maybe one of the biggest lessons that being an RA taught me was teamwork. So a research lab like mine, if there's 20 people working, and some labs, each one of those 20 individuals would have their own research project. Um, I stopped doing that after maybe two years of being a professor. Instead, I, I have people work together. They have more fun, and I think the intellectual outcomes are by far superior than having all these students work alone. So I think teamwork is absolutely essential, and I do the same thing in the classroom. I, I've done a lot to try to figure out how to minimize competition in the sense that I just want students to be able to study together. Um, that's been a really important thing for me. So I have eliminated like a grading curve. There's now this thing uh, I can tell you more if you want. It's a set grading scale. It basically says it doesn't matter what the person next to you got on a test. You should only worry about your grade. And what that means is you should work together and you should study your hearts out. Uh, I have students who make music videos. Again, they work together. These are organic chemistry music videos, by the way. And they work together um, to produce these these videos. So those are just some of the basic lessons that I, I picked up is, uh, is certainly teamwork. And then, of course, conflict resolution. Right? No doubt within teaching, being a professor, dealing with other faculty, and, of course, dealing with students in, in an intense environment like a research lab. There's always some form of conflict resolution happening. And whether or not an RA realizes it at the time, like, I don't think I necessarily fully realized it at the time. But, yeah, you spend a lot of time dealing with conflict resolution, and it's an absolutely fundamental skill, critical skill that will enable those who serve in those RA positions to succeed um, in, in areas where a lot of people don't have that experience um, in order to be able to do that. So I, I think those are uh, some of the things maybe the last one I'd say is sort of like, crisis management, you know, stay, staying calm when something really complicated and dramatic happens and just being ready for it and being confident and thinking your way through it. Uh, so you, you mentioned uh, music videos. So where did this idea originally come from? Uh, these are student-produced music videos and they rap about organic chemistry. Um, and you seem seemingly seem to use them to engage students with uh, very complex material that is organic chemistry. And um, are you an aspiring rapper in your spare time? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I am, but don't tell anybody. Um, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm kidding. Never, never. I have some really good friends from Fishkill that were uh, <laughs> that I, I can I can kind of picture in my head rapping as we speak. But um, you know, honestly, I this idea of the competition in these classes that I, I teach was something very noticeable the first time I taught a large undergraduate organic chemistry course here at UCLA. I mean, these classes are almost 400 students, a lot of pre-help students, and they're competitive. And it can be kind of intense. And the quarter system is really intense. One class is over in just 10 weeks. So, I mean, it was around that. And I had a midterm. And 
um, you know, long story short, it was sort of an off the cuff remark. I, I showed a video in class of some guys rapping on YouTube. It was a chemistry rap. I showed it just to lighten the mood. Um, and people laughed and it was fun to do in a large class. And I just made an off the cuff remark like, Hey, if anybody wants to do something like this for extra credit, uh, I'd be down. Let me know. And I got, I got, I got bombed with requests, right? People came to me at the, right then at the lecture <laughs> at the bottom of the room. Uh, people emailed me saying they'd really love to do it. So I got with the TEs and we came up with some guidelines and we put out the assignment. And from the first time we did that, you know, these videos were, were just unbelievable. I mean, not all videos are created equally, but you know, some of the best ones were just amazing. That's fantastic. Great way to engage students. Talking about engagement, uh, we have a special guest who's calling in to ask you a question. Someone from your past. Hi, Neil. Me again, John. Would you say that being an RA as an undergrad and now being a faculty in residence has helped you in your role as a teacher and research mentor? And if so, in what ways? Yeah, absolutely, John. Um, nice to hear from you, by the way. Thanks for making the time to, to get involved in this. Yeah, I think, um, you know, being an RA at NYU and being a faculty in residence, you know, these ideas of, like, teamwork, conflict resolution, um, all for one, you know, we're all part of the same team, and um, let's put our heads together to solve a problem. Let's never be scared of a, a tough moment, always have the confidence to work through it. These are all things that being an RA and being a faculty and residence have done, you know, these, these have just been really critical experiences and they're important for success in teaching and in research. I think for research, many labs, again, are, are sort of a very special or pretty specialized. All students work on one project at a time. And I much prefer to have students work in teams to get more accomplished, they enjoy the experience more. And then also when they go out in the real world, they need to be able to work with other people. And they need to be able to do that smoothly. If they want to be in positions of management or move up the food chain, um, that type of skill is really important. So I hope I'm able to get to my students in a way that also teaches that value to them. Um, and, and I think that extends both in the classroom and, and to the research laboratory. Thank you, Neil. I got to take off for class. <laughs> All right. See you, John. Nice having former FFIR John Halpin on with us. A great person. Uh, so Neil, I I, um, I was checking out the App Store. Uh, where did the idea of using a smartphone app? Yours is called Backside Attack. I was using it earlier to learn some organic chemistry. Uh, how did it uh, first originate, and uh, how did you manage a team to ideate and create it? Uh, was it difficult? Yeah, absolutely difficult. And thanks for asking. I mean, UCLA has a way, like a mechanism to get undergrads who've taken a class to get, to do something related to pedagogy, right? It's sort of like an extra experience and they can get course credit for doing this. And the beauty of it is that it's really flexible. So I've done this a few times. And then one year, I think this was in 2015, I had a handful of students who were all strangers to one another that, you know, at the end of class, basically indicate to me that they would love to work on a project with me at some point. And so I just sort of kept track of those people and their names, and, it, and there were six of them. So at some point, I just sent them an email. <laughs> I just said, hey, you know, uh, you, you had mentioned this. I'm thinking about trying to do something, and maybe we could just get the sort of getting the, the band back together, just get 
couple of these former students together and um, see what they came up with. So we had, everybody was all into this. So we had a series of meetings where we just sat around, drank coffee, thought about what would be really cool, really different in terms of engaging students in a way that's more modern compared to, say, a textbook. And everybody loved this idea of making a game. And then, of course, we wanted to make an app, and none of us had any experience in doing that. So to answer your question, was it difficult? I'd say absolutely. It was a a very, very tough project, but it was really fun to do. So we just sort of dreamt around. We we thought we jumped, jumped about quite a bit. We thought, what do we want to teach? And we decided on something called the bimolecular nucleophilic substitution reaction, the SN2 reaction. And that's because that is typically the first organic chemistry reaction that students will learn when they take the class. And the reason we teach that first is because it covers a lot of fundamental concepts. So we thought, let's focus on that. That way we can use a gaming environment to establish fundamentals. Students can play that game, and then, bam, you know, they're, they're better prepared for the rest of the course. So that's what we came up with. We spent, you know, it probably took over two years to build this thing start to finish. There was a lot of drawing on the board, coming up with rough ideas. Um, talking to a good friend of mine, Dan Caspi, a, w- a web developer, uh, an app developer. He does lots of things related to IT. He's also a PhD in uh, organic chemistry, so he understood what we were trying to do. And he basically helped us craft this, and we went back and forth with the general structure of the game. Then we went back, filled in all of the science, went back and forth with web development, corrected it, revised it, corrected it, revised it, put it on the App Store, and made it free. So, I mean massive, absolutely massive amount of work that went into that, uh, certainly a learning experience, um, but one of the more fun things that I've done. There's so many ideas floating through your mind, I would imagine. What are you most curious about project-wise and questions to be answered today? Oh. <laughs> well, let's see. I think um, I think in terms of what my, my lab does, we... Um, and what we're most interested in for the research that we do, I think we, we cover two aspects. One is very fundamental, meaning that, um, you know, if a student learns organic chemistry, they learn these rules of reactivity. They say, hey, if you mix these two molecules, they'll, a reaction will occur. If you mix these two molecules, no reaction will occur. And then we have all this reasoning to explain why or why not something happens. And so... What I think from that standpoint, what I'm most excited about is looking at longstanding okay, paradigms in reactivity. So what can react, what can't react, and challenging those. So, for example, we look at molecules that people thought for a long time were just too reactive to be useful. And we basically say, well, why are those too reactive? How can we control that high reactivity? How can we use that high reactivity to our advantage? How can we develop chemistry that could be useful for people to make new medicines? Right, that's the type of thing I'm really excited about. We also take things that people said, "Hey, you can't break those bonds. You can't break an amide, for example," and we'll develop catalysts that allow us to break those bonds that were otherwise challenging. So I think a lot of what we do is very fundamental. It's, a, it's sort of challenging, long-standing rules of reactivity. And then on the other side, um, we have projects in medicinal chemistry related to Alzheimer's therapeutics. Um, materials-related applications, so things like OLED technology, organic light-emitting diodes that go in the displays. You know, we we do quite a bit in, in, in these areas that are a little bit more interdisciplinary and a little bit more applied. 
So if I had to boil it down, those are two things that I'm really excited about for when it comes to research challenges. You're doing such important work. What advice would you give to an undergrad who's preparing for a life in academia, especially in the sciences? Yeah, I think a couple of things. I think one, um, be prepared to work hard, be ready to be frustrated and rejected and recognize that's, and that's not going to say important, but that's just, it's a very, it's very competitive and it's very demanding. Uh, also say from my standpoint, I never as an undergrad necessarily pictured myself going into academia. I, so I, I didn't really have that, that type of a, a plan in place. I can say in hindsight that um, it does require a lot, but also don't be intimidated by how challenging it can be. If you go to a good school for undergraduate and NYU will prepare you well, if you have the opportunity to do research, if you can get yourself into a good graduate program, people will help you along the way, right? And so it's more about figuring out what resources are available to you and taking advantage of those resources. Um, if one goes into a PhD program, that's a very important part of the path towards academia. At that point, making sure you choose a PhD advisor and a laboratory that you feel will provide you the support you need. I think that's really important. You know, rather than going to the lab with, you know, a Nobel Prize winner, maybe that's the perfect fit for you. Or maybe it's to go work with an assistant professor because you'll get a lot of hands-on mentoring from that new professor who's just starting. So I think it's about finding that balance for what works for somebody. So I'd say, you know, perhaps one of the more valuable things that I picked up from NYU was just to um, be resourceful, you know, and and um, and I think that's really what, what it's about. So I think you got to expect that you will be very much challenged along the way of the path to academia. Um, but being resourceful and being self-confident in your own abilities is probably more important advice I can offer. Right. Even in one, in one of my engineering cl classes, I have a great professor who says uh, the same thing regarding uh, uh, it is hard. You you will be frustrated. She calls it pr a productive frustration. And, and she's trying to make it uh, a normal part of these like sciences and a normal part of any any study. I mean, uh, it's just um, it's just related to to the the content, you know. Uh, so speaking of all this uh, all all this uh, content and the complexity of it, what books, podcasts, journals, website are most helpful in keeping you most current in the field? And uh, maybe could you also recommend a book? Uh, for someone who isn't particularly an expert in the field of chemistry? Yeah, great, great questions. Um, tons of questions there. So I think in terms of books, podcasts, journals, and websites, I think if one has the foundation, right, like say, for example, somebody's taken an introductory organic chemistry class and wants to learn just a little bit more about what happens in the field, I think like the simplest resource is this magazine, Chemical and Engineering News, because they'll highlight some of the things that they've deemed to be important, and then they'll have links to the actual journal articles in them, right? So that's a way to give you a snapshot of some of the things that are happening. And I never thought I would say this a few years ago, but Twitter isn't is not a bad resource for keeping up with with recent things that that come out. One of the challenges in science these days is there are so many researchers and there's so many journals it is physically impossible for somebody like me to keep up on everything that's happening. 
so you rely on on other places as your source for information. Those are the two places I, I, I typically keep an eye on, certainly Twitter and uh, chemical and engineering news. In terms of like, if you're not an expert and you want to learn a little bit more about what organic chemistry is, now there's different levels you could go to. So I can um, um, promote my daughters. My daughter is now 12 and 7. A few years ago, they wrote a chemistry coloring book. If you want like the absolute basics, <laughs> and you, and even if you're an adult and uh, just need to chill out after a long day, um, you can you can get the organic coloring book. It's a it's a few bucks on Amazon. I can send people copies, but that's like the, the you know the lowest the lowest level resource I could offer to somebody um, for that. And I will say there's a challenge for the field, and that's that there are not a lot of resources in between. It's like if we just think about chemistry in general. If you ask somebody in the general public, maybe the parts that are cool are like the colors, the fires, you know, explosions, I don't know, stuff like that. And then all of a sudden there's like a, a ton of vocabulary that most people don't know out there. And so, I don't know, I, I think maybe I should be thinking, I don't know if I have a good answer for your question about what the best resources would be, but I would offer that maybe there are not a lot of resources in that kind of happy medium space. And uh, maybe that's an area that we should be targeting. And if anybody is uh, listening to this podcast in a position to help with that, I'd, I'd uh, encourage you to do so. And, and they put that out to you as a challenge. And please, all listeners, please do email us and we can put it in the show notes for sure. Uh, Alvaro really wanted me to ask the question, who's your favorite Star Wars or Breaking Bad characters? That was your question. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sure, I gotcha. Okay, well, so I'm a big Star Wars fan. And I don't know if I told you that, or if you if you just randomly knew that. But um, we we saw man. the R two D two on your desk. Uh, <laughs> he's good in terms yeah. of his research. He did a lot of research on you. I'm like, wait a second, how did? Okay, well, um, well, so I keep an R two unit and a BB eight in my office. <laughs> um, I used to. I grew up with the Darth Vader thing in my in my uh, bedroom in Fishville, so. Those are, uh, you know, some of my favorites. But if I, uh, oh, it's tough. I might have to give it up to Chewbacca. That's a good <laughs> Interesting one. Interesting choice. That's a good one. Yeah, I might have to give it up to Chewbacca, and I don't know if I can really explain that. But I don't. But it's sad because I don't have any Chewbacca paraphernalia. But maybe I'll, maybe I'll acquire some. You, you might, after your students listen to the podcast, you may come into the the, the lab and all of a sudden see Chewie uh, there, right? Thank you for amusing us with those questions. I mean. Uh, uh, I, I I do have uh, uh, one for you. Do do you still stay in contact with other RA alumni, and if so, whom? Oh, absolutely. I um, you know, it's it's certainly one of the most fun things that happens when I go back to New York is to catch up with people who are still there, and I saw some friends in California as well. Um, maybe uh, I give a shout out to Brendan Walsh. You know, without a doubt, my one of my closest friends from the Water Street days. He would call me, you know, whatever time, ten thirty, eleven o'clock at night. He was always hungry, so we could go out and go to the deli and get a sandwich. They even named a, a sandwich after him at that, <laughs> that deli we used to go to. Um, Nadine Chang, another uh, very close friend of mine, she's, uh, she's a doctor, a psychiatrist in New York City. Um, those would be two people that I'd give uh, just really big shout-outs to. Um, but I think what's also kind of fun is that I'm also really close with people that um, lived in the dorms with my freshman year. So like Joe Gabriel... Angela Hurley, these are people that I lived nearby and I spent so much time with them. 
um, over the years, and I see them every time I go back to New York just as well. And actually, the RAs and my old friends from freshman year, we all get together uh, at the same place together. We love to hear that. The community that was formed here continues in your life today. That's great to hear. It's now time for Speed Round. Alvaro, you're going to begin. Neil, what do you most miss about living in a residence hall as a student? The spontaneity. Favorite NYU professor? Uh, that's a toss-up. It would either be Professor Mark Walter or Professor York Rose. Favorite RA training program? <laughs> oh, man, maybe it was the, uh, the mock RA training, both being on the, the side where I was a first-time RA and then being a returning RA. And we have to put together these ridiculous scenarios for the, the new RAs have to battle their way through. Behind closed doors, they call it. <laughs> oh, I do remember yeah, that Yes, one. you do. How about your best program that you did as an RA? Oh, I, you know, I did this twice. I took residence to Coney Island. And if you allow, maybe I'll broaden it out and say anything we could do to get the students out of the dorms and into other parts of New York. Finally. Most memorable NYU moment, and I think it happened in your sophomore year. (laughs) Well, all right, this is the very beginning of my sophomore year. I helped plan an ice cream social, and the roommate of one of the people I planned that with um, turned out to be my wife. So I met my wife in my Uh beginning of my second, my now wife being my second year. So I got to give it up to my wife. Absolutely. Neil, uh, thanks so much for spending time with Tom and I to discuss your journey and where your life after NYU has taken you. As always, thanks to our listeners who can stay connected with RA alums who are living the Dream School alumni version life. Neil, uh, everything that John said about you in the intro is absolutely true. Uh, Impressive, impressive researcher, teacher, uh, friend, colleague, and so much more. So thank you so much for being on with us tonight. I appreciate it. It's been a lot of fun. So, um, I think, you know, if any RAs are still listening, uh, yeah, enjoy the ride. It's really a special experience, and I'm very grateful for my time as an NYU RA. Excellent. Special thanks to my engineer tonight, Alejandra Ravallo, Duncan Lemieux, who is my executive director, and executive producer is Shahara Ranasang. And to our current professional staff and the alum like Howie and John, who helped form and develop skills for these wonderful RA alums along the way. If you like the show, look for more content on our new NYU RA alumni website at where-ra-now.webflow.io, which lists favorite books, picks of all favorite time moments, memories, and alumni accomplishments. Until next time, think about how you can learn and teach it to others. Have a great night. 